0: This is the Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris, where we discuss apologetics without apology. As we continue to dive in and look at the complicated issue of marriage and divorce, let me first begin to say that God loves marriage. It's a covenant, and God hates divorce. It's the severing of that covenant. God loves marriage because his intent working through sinners to produce righteousness in the earth is his greatest challenge. So we're going to begin to look how law and and grace and how all these things kind of fit together and how those who misinterpret the law and try to apply to the New Testament covenant error in their ways. So please be patient with me as I lay the foundation and answer many questions that need to be addressed concerning the topic of marriage and divorce. In Luke chapter 16, verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man pressed into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Notice it said in verse 16 that the law and the prophets were until John. When John the Baptist came, he was the transition between the law and grace. And when Christ came, he came to fulfill the law. So in that fulfillment, a transformation took place concerning the elements of marriage and divorce. And I know a lot of preachers today, especially in Pentecostal churches, um, and sometimes old-fashioned churches, men who may not be learned in the scriptures, and don't understand the covenants, old and new, and how God had moved in different dynamics of faith And by the power of the Spirit in the New Covenant, they they take out of context to make a pretext for their own teachings, things that Jesus said in the Gospels, which, of course, during the days of the apostles. But when he lived, it was during the days of the law. Because the church did not start until, yes, the day of Pentecost, 31 AD. That's when Christ poured out his Spirit, and the church was birthed into reality and existence. He had already shed his blood to cover the multitude of sins for the whole world. And Peter stood up on that day the day their Pentecost and told him to repent and be baptized every one of them in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of their sins and they should receive the baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so that's in Acts 2.38. So prior to that though, while Jesus was yet with them, and while he was being interrogated, I would say, by the Pharisees, and why do I say that? Because let's look at the context here. In Mark chapter 10, verse 1, it says, He arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the further side of Jordan, and the people resorted to him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And, and the Pharisees, they came to him and asked him, Is it lawful? For a man to put away his wife? And here it gives the context. It says tempting him. In other words, they was always challenging Jesus on the law about the Sabbath and all the elements. And Jesus gave them answers they could either, that they could not understand, that they could not respond to or told not to because he entrapped them because he gave the law. He understood it better than anybody. And Jesus answered unto them, he asked them this simple question. "What did Moses command you? And Moses, and they said, and Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. You notice he changed it from what Moses said. When Moses commanded them, Jesus said, look, Moses did that because the hearts of your hearts. And your father is before you. He did. But that was never God's original intent. Verse 6 says. From the beginning of creation. Made them male and female. For this cause shall so the man leave his father and mother. And cleave to his wife. And we just read earlier in Ephesians 5. And they are no more two or twain but one flesh. What therefore God joined together. Let no man put asunder. Do not let no man sever that. For in the house of the disciples acts him again the same. Whosoever Jesus told them whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another commit adultery against her. If woman shall put away her husband and be married to another she commits adultery. These verses were given and explained to Jesus expound upon the law and the intent of God under the old covenant. These are not fully applicable to the New Testament because in context, this is who is addressing the Pharisees. It went to entrap him. And Jesus restated. And they said that the law has not changed. Because it had not changed. Why? Because we just read previously. That until. In Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John. But then. Since that time. The kingdom of God is preached. Verse 16. And so. With that being said, the law of necessity had to change for the components how this would be reversed in the new covenant. This is expounded upon further as Paul used a comparative base using the marriage relationship under the law to talk about the deadness of the law and the deadness of our flesh, and how we're to live alive unto Christ as a new covenant and a new law, the law of the spirit, the law of love in the law of the heart. And I know a lot of preachers have taken this verse and used this by commandment, telling people that we are to do certain things according to the law, but because Jesus said it, but they take everything out of context and become their pretext for lack of understanding. Romans 7.1, Paul says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over man as long as he liveth. All right, obviously. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to a husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband is dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. Obviously, and vice versa, because if the person is dead, there's no longer a contract, uh, there's no longer a marriage. And that is the same applies to the husband. In verse 3, so then if... While her husband liveth, she be married to another man. She should be called an adulteress. That's if they're living. But if her husband be dead and she is free from the law, so there is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Because death severs that relationship. Wherefore, he made this transition, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the Holy, by, by the body of Christ, Paul says in this verse about now we're dead to the law; the law is dead. Now we're alive. This is a new covenant. When a man is is, is alive and he's married, that covenant is still in force. Christ as the testator, the death of the testator. We're told in the book of Hebrews chapter nine when that happened, there came a new law, a new covenant, and the death of the law took place, and now. We are now in the body of Christ. I read verse 4 again. Wherefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Through the crucifixion and at Pentecost, when he gave us a new law, is circumcision not of the flesh, but a circumcision of the spirit by the Holy Ghost. That you should be married to another, even to him also is raised from the dead unto Christ that we should bring forth fruit unto God in this new covenant, all right? This new covenant, death to the law, but alive unto Christ. Through faith we walk, as he talks about extensively in the book of Galatians chapter 3. For we were in the flesh, verse 5, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Under the law, All you were aware of sins and how that you were inept and unable to keep it. But when that law died, the the old law of Christ, he he put to death that law and brought us a new law, a new covenant, a new marriage. In preparation for the marriage of the lamb. And we should bring now because of that relation with Christ, being the fruit of the spirit. In verse four, it says, bring forth fruit unto God. Verse 5, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring both fruit unto death. The law brought death. It brought condemnation. It brought hopelessness because no man could keep the law. But in verse 6, they're putting in all in context. But now, but now we are delivered from the law and being dead more and more, uh, I guess, metaphorically when we were held that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter or the oldness of the letter of the law so I many preachers they they quote verse 2 and three and take everything out of context but he this is an allegorical comparison of the law which was the first husband right now the law is dead there is a new relationship established with The church through the spirit. And that's what it says in verse 6. I repeat it again. But now we are delivered from the law and being dead wherein we were held that we should in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter referring to the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay. I had not known sin but by the law for I had not known lust except by the law, had said, thou shalt not covet. You see, in Galatians 3, verse 24 and 25, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. So in essence, this kind of set the stage. It set the stage for us to understand how many may error in their understanding of the transference of the marriage covenant relationship from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so, I I, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, and understanding as we pursue further to look how and what are the criteria and and, and the methods and reasons why one can actually get a divorce in the new covenant. Uh, The Christian marriage is a unique institution. It is in direct parallel with the human marriage and divorce. For marriage, ironically, few understand. is actually the mechanism where love flows from heaven to all generations. For the love of God by His Spirit, from my Heavenly Father come down to man, to His natural representative, and then from man to His wife. And from wife to to his children using both parents as that model. And then the children to their children and to their children's children for future generations. God is not destitute for love, but he would like, um, you know, have it reciprocated. Um, he wants to be praised in worship and worshiped in purity for his awesomeness and for his glory. At least for those who choose to do that. For love itself must come from the heart and must be freely expressed, not dictated as some would think a cruel God would do. Man is not programmed. Man is given free will and choice to decide whether to serve God or not. The problem we have is that we live in a world that loves darkness and sin, even the religion. And most religions, of course, are in darkness themselves, and they do also do not walk in light. And since God hates divorce, we're told in the book of Malachi, chapter 2, verse 16, for the Lord, the God of Israel said he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. In other words, God is a God of covenant. He is a God of love and he does what he promised he will do. Again, as stated earlier, the three most important decisions that one will make in their life are number one, the knowledge of and how they walk with God. Number two, who one marries or who they choose as their spouse. And number three, who is chosen to be their pastor or religious leaders. These three elements here will determine and can have an impact on whether or not go to heaven or whether one goes to hell. Each of these three are great bearing pillars to determine one's eternal plight. And if you're a woman, please give me heed and listen very well. Women are the most vulnerable in this marriage relationship. They are commanded to be under subjection to their own husbands, to submit to them in all things. And also the husband is your head. Therefore, the woman chooses her head. And this is the foundation for the Christian marriage as God being love through the man to the wife and to the children for all generations to come. You see, the heathen can and will do whatever he wants to do, and they are not in covenant with Christ. However, marriage is still honorable and still a divine institution created by God. So whether heathen or not, God still holds people accountable, but yet and still, with that being said, the Christian marriage is unique because the woman has to submit to a head whom she chooses. It is best to be slow to choose who your spouse will be. If you're a woman, for if you make your bed in hell, then don't blame God. If you have to lay in it for what if a person's husband is not a Christian, not a provider, he does not believe in God or he worship pagan religions. What if he is unfaithful? What if he is abusive and have addictions such as alcohol and drugs? Does he not want a wife? Maybe one rather than a real wife. He wants a mother, someone to take care of him and not a provider. Does he have an education? What type of character does he have? Is he a liar? Does he understand finances and budget? Is he fair, selfish, or strong will? If you work, does he exist or assist? in the process of working with the chores around the home. Do you have anything in common with this man? Are your cultures similar? Are they in conflict? Were either or both of you raised by a mother and a father or you raised in a single-parented family? That may determine having an impact how you come into your marriage. Do either of you have childhood issues such as abuse or rape or incest? Do either of you have anger problems, jealousy, or maybe controlling issues. These are just a few things that one needs to consider before they can decide to marry another person. For these are very, very pertinent issues that are very active today. Even though men are the most responsible and accountable to God according to His divine order, women need to be very careful in who they choose to be their spouse. For this will set the stage whether or not it would be a life of bliss heaven or hell on earth or whether or not they will have to repent and suffer the consequences of divorce with their children. Just as the law was a covenant with only and for the Jews, the New Testament will and testament or contract is only for Christians. Making these covenant applicable to everyone In an, is an error because those in darkness have no fellowship or desire to walk in the light of of a covenant of light, meaning Jesus Christ. These individuals who are not saved, they are not betrothed unto Christ. They're not a part of his body. And the law is no longer in effect today. So some preachers, unfortunately, try to bring in elements of the law and make it applicable for the new covenant, which is also error and can be damnable. Heathens marry and are given the marriage on their own vices and they perish. So it is important that who you marry as a preacher, number one, we know that in our country, the state, a notary or member of the judiciary can, of course, perform a wedding. Preachers, well, golly, preachers and leaders, please beware because marriage and divorce can be a great snare for you. For we are commanded, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, not to marry anyone, especially he commands Christians not to be unequally yoked. For to do so, put oneself in great jeopardy with the Lord. Church elders, leaders, and members of the sevenfold ministry are called to be ambassadors of Christ, not for themselves, not for their religious organizations or institutions, but for Christ. Therefore one should not run to preach or teach until they have been instructed in the original first century church doctrines and receive revelations from the Holy Ghost that agrees with the word written by the apostle Paul, who of course was the apostle to the Gentiles, and the Apostle Peter, the apostle to the Jews. Especially if one follows the organizational doctrines and do not declare essential elements of the new covenant, missing law with grace. They make themselves and they they hear them transgressors of both covenants. Yes, both covenants. That the old covenant and new and forfeiting both and not abiding under neither. Rightly dividing the word is essential to understand the grounds in the New Testament for marriage and divorce. For example, Jesus um, through the Apostle Paul talks about law and grace in an allegorical form. Here in the book of Galatians chapter 4 it is explicitly stated as an allegory of the law and New Testament grace how they do not mix and they're not the same. Galatians 4.21 Paul said, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law did you not hear the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons the one of the bond bondmaid the other of the free woman the bondmaid, as you know, was, of course, Hagar, and the free woman was his wife Sarah. But he, it says in verse 23, who was of uh, the bondwoman, was born after the flesh, which is my Ishmael. But he, thus of uh, the free woman, was by promise, and that's Isaac. Which things are an allegory, it says in verse 24, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which generated bondage, which is Hagar or Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and the answer to Jerusalem, which now is, is the woman of bondage with her children. For the conflict is going on today with the children of bondage, the children of Hagar, the children of Arabs, the twelve sons of Ishmael, and even some of their descendants of course, who are Muslim today, the conflict that's going on in Israel. But verse 26 says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren, thou bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travaileth not. For the desolate hath many more children than she would has in husband. And so, here we're told, English Galatians 4, 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But if then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Verse 29. Even so it is now. that this, the, the war between the flesh and, and the old law and the war between the Spirit. Those who don't walk in the Spirit would say with the Spirit, the Lord is there's liberty. But the Lord also warns us not to use our liberty as a cloak to sin or the flesh, but we must understand, and be able to delineate the law versus grace. Otherwise you make thyself a transgressor. A transgressor means a covenant breaker of both. Verse thirty it says Nevertheless, what we'll say in the scriptures? Cast out the bondwoman for her son, and the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, if ye are not children of the bondwoman, but are the free, he tells us we are to walk in freedom. Walk in freedom. Yes? Jesus came, came to set us free, to make us free, as he says in John chapter 8. For with the son of the man is made free, is free indeed. So the warning to all the religious preachers, regardless of one's culture or denominational background, that we are not to mix untampered mortar for a foundation for our doctrines that put Christ against his apostles and put the old covenant against the new covenant when Christ fulfilled the old with the new. And Jesus, of course, as we looked at previously, he gave the prophets his words. He gave his apostles His foundation and he is that chief cornerstone as revealed in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18 and 19 and 20. You see this mortar. You see the prophet Ezekiel knowing these things will happen. He said which uh, Ezekiel 22 verse 25. um, There's a conspiracy of of our prophets in the midst of like a roaring lion ravishing it and eating their prey devouring it. They have devoured souls, the Bible says. They have taken treasure the precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst of her. priests have violated my law, have profaned my holy things. And they have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. And I am profound among them. Her princes in the midst of are like wolves. Raving their souls to shed blood and to destroy souls and to get dishonest gain. For prophets have dubbed them with untampered mortar, seeing vanity and divine lies unto them. Dividing these lies from their own heart, thus saith the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. He talks about these people, they run and they ran. They run and they ran, but he has not sent them. They built Foundations, untempered mortar. That's like when you lay blocks and bricks, when you're building a house, the mortar, if you don't mix it the right consistency, it will flow over and the ooze out and the bricks will not lay properly. They will not bond brick upon brick or block upon block. And this is what happens when men try to lay a foundation that God has not laid, building their own denominations, mixing law with grace according to their own understanding and their own carnality, running but never been sent by God. Teaching for doctrines rather than the commandments and revelation of the Lord, the commandments of men. So, commanding a sinner. Who is coming to hear about Christ to obey the law when Christians themselves do not live according to the ordinance of the Old Testament anymore is total error and it is heresy. Therefore we must examine the new covenant mandates for marriage and divorce after the foundations and elements that were laid by the Jewish apostles to answer the questions correctly and look at both the spiritual and literal nuances of the New Testament. You see, I heard it said a while back that some preachers had mentioned that if one marries, that whoever marries before and after they're saved, all right, and if they were divorced at any time in their life experience, they must return back to their first husband. If they've been divorced twice, three times, no matter how many times, they must go back to their original husband. They take out of context what Jesus said in disputing with the Pharisees in the Gospels over the law and make New Testament commandments. These legalists claiming that their first husband was the ori- original husband and is allegedly their only legitimate husband do error. Many have broken up families over such issues and the Lord would deal with these preachers appropriately. It Is is it lawful for a Jew to command the Gentile to follow the law of a Jew? Jews had a natural covenant by birth and descendants. Gentiles were not under such statutes of the law. Uh, The Lord had a covenant with Israel. He didn't make with the Gentiles. Moses was with his own people. Jesus came to his own people. He did not go to the Gentiles. He came unto his own, but his own received him not, as we well know. But as many did receive him, to them he would give them power to become sons of God. But then, all that abides only those who are in covenant with him. The Lord commands us to remain in the marital state that we are in when we come to him. If married, seek not to be loose. We will explore First Corinthians chapter 7 and all these very nuances after I go through all the foundational elements that caused many preachers and denominations to stumble over this issue of marriage and divorce. This issue really came about, you know, in the new covenant, when Jews and Gentiles came into union with Christ. And there was a cultural marital clash that took place, the clash of thunder and lightning, (laughs) because two cultures, heathen, light, and darkness, coming together. And God brought the union. Through himself, Jesus Christ, at the cross and at Pentecost. You see, when it comes to marriage and divorce, we cannot err in instructing others who trust and obey us. If we teach certain things as church leaders and people obey us, then God will hold us accountable if we teach them error. If we make ourselves judges and judge incorrectly, we will be judged accordingly. So the point of reference that Jesus said, as many say in Luke chapter 16 and 18, we looked there earlier in Mark 10, 11, when Jesus was talking about the law and the dispute with the Pharisees, they take these verses here and make them commandments for the New Testament church. Take them out of context, not understanding when they were given, to whom they were given to, and for purpose they were wrought. For many repeating what Jesus said, without understanding his cause, um, cause him into error. Or if his words are taken out of context, they become a pretext, you know, for a pet peeve doctrine or religious tradition. And then it can also lead, of course, to their damnation, unfortunately. You see, God tolerated the abuse and hardness of heart of men, but he's not doing that anymore. You see, in Mark chapter 10, verse 2, Uh, The Pharisees came to him and asked him, you know, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Again, this is the encounters that Jesus had in the Gospels, referring to the Pharisees and the law, tempting him, trying him. They also did this over and over again concerning the Sabbath. And Jesus gave them correct answers that man is not, you know, he's not a slave to the Sabbath. All right. God is God of the Sabbath. And man also he made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, in their legalistic pursuit, not understanding that the one that gave the law was with them, speaking to them, Jesus spoke to them in Mark chapter 10 in this manner. He said, what did Moses command you? And this is what many pharisaical, or I, I might call this, if we were in Islam, Taliban Christians, preachers, what they tried to bring the law in, not understanding what God has said. So Jesus asked asking the question in verse 3, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus said unto them, For the hardness of your hearts, He didn't say their hearts back in that day of Moses. He said, for the hardness of your hearts, He wrote you. This precept, <laughs> uh, Jesus lit right into them. It wasn't just because in the days of Moses God gave them this law, but because their hearts are just as wicked as they stole the prophets before them, and also the prophets throughout time. How the religious people of Israel never really want to hear, nor understand, nor obey the word of God. So, putting all this in context, put it in context. The bride and the wife of the Old Testament was Israel. And she was a natural bride, a natural covenant with 630 explicit laws. Wow. (laughs) That were virtually impossible to keep. Hence every since Adam's expulsion from the Garden of Eden, man has been rebellious to every covenant or contact, a contract made by him, especially with his elect people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as he tried many times to redeem them and bring them unto a covenant of salvation for his divine purposes. Even though their husband, Yahweh, uh, would on numerous occasions through an untold number of prophets like Ezekiel and uh, Isaiah, Hosea, and yes, even Jeremiah. Yes, even with 15 judges, uh, give them, you say, give them to Israel a bill of divorcement to, to divorce them because they will always transgress his covenant and rebel against him. And they will continually prostitute themselves with the gods of the heathen nations, sacrifice their children to Moloch and Aseroth, committing spiritual fornication, harlotry, and adultery, and giving themselves over to a spirit of whoredom, as it says in the book of Hosea, chapter 5, verse 4. So this writ, or this bill, the bill of divorcement, was a, a decree, a document, as spoken about in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, verse 8, it says that I saw when all the causes were by backsliding, backsliding, yes, backsliding Israel, committed adultery. I have put her away. Israel, of course, was the northern kingdom when it went in sin. In the same verse, he says, and gave her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah, the southern kingdom, fear not. And Judah went into transgression and sin as well. And in Judah, he had Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, come and take them into captivity. In the northern kingdom, it was the per- Medo-Persians, Cyrus the Great, and the others who took them into captivity. This around 600, 700, 600 and 700, of course, um, B.C. Why did he let them go into captivity? Because they played the harlot, both Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom and he gave them a bill of divorcement. And Isaiah says in this manner, thus saith the Lord, will I will where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? the question is asked whom i have put away or which my creditors is to whom i have sold you? bill for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves and for your transgressions is your mother put away again a transgression is a covenant breaker iniquities, is blade to sin, and also perversions of the way of God, in heresy and defiance. So Yahweh would restrain himself over and over and over again through many millenniums from his fury and wrath upon Israel, remembering his previous covenants made with Abraham, uh, even before Abraham, Adam and Noah, and then Moses and David, restraining himself for his desire to totally obliviate them and early divorce her. But he would not do that. He would not do that. Why? Because he remembered his previous covenants. And historically and metaphorically, this pattern and relationship between God and his wife Israel would be explicitly exemplified in a new relationship. And also through the prophet Hosea. Whom God told to marry a whore named Gomer. Can you imagine? That? God told Hosea to marry Gomer a whore, and Gomer, he said she paid her lovers to seduce and lay with her. What prostitute would do that? Hosea called her in Hosea four sixteen, she was called a backsliding heifer. Yet God simply called her still to repentance. When it comes to the New Testament, we see how the, the, this applies to the church. How individual Christians pursuant to marriage and divorce in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, when they speak to the seven churches, where he judges them for their sins seven times. The same parallel is made in Leviticus, chapter 26, verses 14 through 42, when he judged Israel also seven times for her sins 3,000 years ago which was a prophetic prototype and typology for the church in the last days of which we're living in today. Compelling and causes us to repent. Israel would even kill her prophets. And when the son of man, the son of the most high came, Jesus Christ, the religious even killed him, even Jesus. Who through their prophetic script, which they knew in their heads, but not in their hearts, they fulfilled. For we're told in first Corinthians chapter two verse eight, had they known who he was, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. So why didn't they know? The Pharisees and Sadducees even killed the deacon of the churches in Acts chapter seven, verse thirty five to sixty, Stephen. And yes, it was at the feet of the Saul of Tarsus, later who became the apostle Paul, who was there before his conversion. So both Romes, the Empire, and Roman European Christianity, under the banner of their mother, the Roman Catholic Church, have for the past 2,000 years persecuted the Jewish Christian faith. And like King Jeroboam of the northern kingdom of Israel, who substituted pagan worship and pagan feast days instead of that which was holy and commanded by the Lord, Mystery Babylon today, Christianity, and Romer's mother, Roman Catholic Church, have dealt with will be dealt with in the book of Revelation chapter 17 and 19 for being the harlot who prostitutes us up amongst the nations. So why has God not utterly destroyed Israel, like he did with the mixed multitude of Jews and Gentiles that came out of Egypt? And they were all overthrown in the wilderness. Paul makes reference to this in First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through 13, and Hebrews chapter 3, verses 6 through 19. So, Why has he not utterly destroyed them? Simply, the ultimate covenant was still yet pending through the called out ones or sanctified members of the ecclesia or the church, who would be the residue of all the descendants of Adam, no longer just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but rather having Jews and Gentiles becoming one in Christ. This is the new covenant. This is the body of Christ. For within his body, the church, whereby only he is the head, those who endure to the end, the saints should be partakers and recipients of the promises of eternal salvation and body restoration, being changed from mortality into immortality, as declared throughout the ages, and they will partake of the wedding of the Lamb, the wedding of Jesus Christ. So we are no longer to mixed law Lord and grace. We have to understand this new covenant. And so... Paul will begin systematically to explain how we are to apply marriage and divorce in the new covenant. As Christ had dealt with Israel, he is also will deal with the church. And then also he shows the pattern how we are to deal with the husband and wife in the family. Because the church is a macro version of the, uh, of the family And the the micro version is the husband and wife relationship. And we are not to be unequally yoked. But if we are unequally yoked by marriage or by conversion, God has a remedy for that too. So bear with me, pray with me, as we seek to endeavor to break down this seemingly complicated issue of marriage and divorce, as thus saith the Lord in the New Testament. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and automatically receive our next teaching on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. The Foundation Station with Bishop Clarence Harris is made possible by the support of listeners like you. If you'd like to bless this ministry with an offering, please do so via the Cash app by searching #FoundationStation. Foundation Station. That's dollar sign, Foundation Station. Thank you, and God bless.